0: Good morning, happy Father's Day. We're going to be going through, continuing our series called Missing the Point, which is through the book of Luke chapter 11. And there's a lot going on through chapter 11, and we're just kind of stopping and looking at... Specific verses. You know, for the past, we've been looking at chunks of verses. And for the past few weeks, we've been looking at specific verses. Today, we're looking at verses 45 through 46. And I'm going to give you some context as to what's been happening before we start reading what, hap- what happens next. So, so far, a lot of things have been going on. Jesus shows up on the scene and looks at these group of people, these religious people called Pharisees. And Jesus basically says, Woe to you, Pharisees, you missed a point. You got this wrong, you got this wrong, you got this wrong. And we went deep into why. These things were so bad that Jesus would actually get angry about things. Now, we're not talking about happy, smiley Jesus in these stories. We're talking about frustrated, you're irking me, so please stop doing it so, you know, so that you don't misrepresent my father type of Jesus. That, so this is not the happy Jesus that we're used to hearing about. This is the, you're getting on my nerves, so please stop doing it, please type of Jesus. And so he's been talking to a group of people called the Pharisees. And as he's talking to these people called the Pharisees, there's another group of people who started listening in. So you can just imagine, it's like one of those like high school fights when you know, two people get in a fight, and all of a sudden there's a crowd around you. That's what's happening here. As Jesus is giving this lecture to the Pharisees, there's another group of people who start surrounding Jesus, okay? And these people are called the experts of the law, okay? So these guys are listening in and they're like, you know, what we've been talking about Jesus so far. I realize that this doesn't just apply to the Pharisees. It could also apply to us. And that's where we pick up this story. Verse 45, one of the experts of the law answered to him, Jesus teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Meaning these are not just fighting words to them. These are fighting words to us. And so Jesus is like, oh, you want to get a part of this? You want a piece of this? Okay, okay. I'm going to put you into this group too. So Jesus, from this point on, is not just addressing the Pharisees. He's addressing the experts of the law. Now, experts of the law, these are the people who have studied the scriptures day in and day out. So these are the people who know how to implement the word of God into our daily lives. So he's first talking about the religious people, and now he's talking about the people who give them the material to do the things that they're doing. So now we're talking about both sides. So at this point, Jesus is like, okay, now I'm going to address both sides of the story. So here we go. Jesus replied. And you, experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. What is he talking about here? In this part of the story, Jesus is basically saying, you guys study the word of God day in and day out. And the way you're using the word of God is actually adding to the weight of the people around you, meaning the average Joe that's hanging out around us, right? These people can barely hang on to their faith because you put so much weight on their shoulders, which I read this and I thought, oh my goodness, this sounds just like my story. Because in the ninth grade, ninth or 10th grade, oh, I was probably closer to 10th grade. In 10th grade, I had a friend from my tennis team invite me to go to church. And my response to him wasn't, I've been waiting all these years for somebody to invite me to church. That wasn't my response. My response was, oh man, I got invited to church, but since I want to be a good friend, I'm going to go anyways and say, well, thank you for inviting me. I don't want to go ever or go again. And the reason why I felt that way is because I had this preconceived notion about what religion was like, which is they're going to weigh me down with all these do's and don'ts. And part of it was because I believe in this simple idea, which is this, if the Bible says it, you do it. The Bible says it, you do it. That was the, I mean, maybe some of you guys believe that too. And maybe some of you, maybe this is your first time coming to church in a long time. You're like, I stayed away from church for all these years because I hate this. I don't want other people telling me what to do. I mean, I want to have fun. And if I read the Bible, I'm afraid that it's going to tell me not to have fun. I want to do this with my life. And I'm afraid that if I go to church, the pastor's going to tell me that's the exact thing you shouldn't be doing. So, like, it's like this weight that comes on you. Uh, so you wake up in the morning. I'm going to do A, B, and C. But before you do A, B, and C, you have to check the manual. Oh, I can't do A. B, I could do it in moderation. C, oh, don't even think about it. Okay. Okay, so you, do, you don't do A. You do, maybe you do B, but you do not do C. Not even think about it. And then you go on with your day, and you're like, can I do this or not? And it's just like this heavy weight on your shoulders you're like this is why i don't like religion it's i I want to live a life of freedom and christians claim that christianity is freedom this doesn't feel like freedom this seems i feel like i'm enslaved i mean do you know did you know there's over 600 rules in the old testament i mean are we supposed to follow every single one of them have you read the old testament have you read some of those rules some of those rules are just ridiculous right and they're expecting us to follow it today in the 21st century You see, I had this preconceived notion of what the law was supposed to do, like what it was there for. I thought if it was written in there and if they give you a list of rules, then that pretty much means that you're supposed to do it. Like, if somebody gives you rules, that means that you're supposed to do it, right? So this is what they were doing. They were taking the rules of the Old Testament and they're saying, you need to live according to this or else God doesn't love you or you're not good enough for God or God doesn't want to look at you or you're called a sinner and you're going to be outcast from society. Like just imagine the weight that's on your shoulder. And some of the things that's in the Bible, some of the rules, are things you can't control. Like, one is about bleeding, right? Like, sometimes, it's not like I want to bleed, but it just happens every once in a while, right? And I'm unclean for that. You you expect me to follow that rule? Another one is somebody dies. Like, I can't control that, but now I'm unclean for being around somebody who died? You're like, I was being a good friend, being there for them, and you're, you're like, the Bible says it so go do it. That, that was this really heavy weight on the shoulders of people. And not only that, there was religious people like the Pharisees and the experts of the law who were making sure people followed these rules. And for those of you who said, I want nothing to do with religion because I don't want all these rules on my life, well, maybe this will free you today. Because what I'm going to do, and I'm going to nerd out for the next few minutes, okay, is I want to go over the history of the law history of the law what role does the bible the, the the commandments play in the bible so if you would bear with me for the next few minutes we're going to go over the history of the law so we're going to start from the book of genesis so this is the book of genesis and the book of genesis starts with the garden of eden right god creates life he breathes his own image into humanity okay and this is going to be a long timeline so okay and when people were given life and given paradise what do people do with it well by the third chapter Next slide. By the next chapter, uh, by the third chapter, we find out that they rebelled. They're like, we don't, you know, you define for us what good is. We don't like your version of good. There's a serpent that told us that there's a different version of good that we, that's kind of appealing to us. So we're going to do that instead of this. It's like, okay, if you're going to do that, it's going to bring destruction upon yourself because this is not healthy for you. Okay, well, then what? Well, eventually humanity gets kicked out of the garden. And then as they're outside their garden, they're like, what should we do? And they reflect back on, well, what did God do for us? And they're like, well, God breathed his own image into us. And who is God? Well, he is the creator. So they, re- they remember, oh, God gave us this ability to create. So next slide. So in their minds, they're like, okay, then what we need to do is we need to, we need to look, we need to, to basically, well, if you have the ability to create, then let's create something. So God's like, good, finally. They're going to do something good with their hands, right? And what do they do with their hands? When God gave them the ability to create, they used that very ability to build the Tower of Babel, to rebel against God. So, next slide. <laughs> Are you seeing a pattern here? Right. And then after that, God's like, "Okay, okay, we need to do something better here. What, what's what's an alternative to this? Oh, I know, I know. Okay, maybe if we create this relationship, this type of partnership, we'll call that a covenant. Okay, this contract that says." Maybe uh, if, if I reach out to them and I say, hey, I want to partner with you in fixing the world, maybe then we could establish this relationship. So next slide. So the next thing God does is that he starts this thing called a covenant. It's like, let's make a deal here. And let's just make it so that the deal is more in favor of you than it is for me. Because I don't want you guys to think that I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it for you, you know? So he does that. He's, here's here's the, the foundation of the covenant. Okay, the covenant is this because you're so consumed with yourself, you only care about yourself, you wanna build empires and stuff like that instead of helping other people. How about this? I'll take care of you if you could just focus on other people, right? I mean, if I, could, if, I, if, I take, if I bless you and I curse the people who curse you, if I just take care of you, then you're free to love on people being selfless, right? They're like, yeah. It's like, okay, so here's the deal. I will bless you abundantly if you go and bless the world. It's like, okay, deal. But the problem with that is that from that point on, the people who received this promise, this covenant, they started saying, wait a minute. We're getting blessed by God? Oh, I want that promise. No, I want that promise. I want that promise. I want that promise. And what happens is for three gen- for three generations, we have three generations of, of basically quarreling within the family saying, I'm going to take your blessing because I want the blessing. No, I'm going to take your blessing. I'm going to deceive you. Take your blessing. I'm going to take your blessing. I'm going to take your blessing. I'm going to take your blessing. We're not even halfway through the story yet, okay? (laughs) But do you see what's happening here? And because of that, what happens next? They get exiled into Egypt. They become slaves. They end up under somebody else's rule. And that's how the book of Genesis ends. So if you go to the next slide, you'll see this overview of Genesis. This is like the big picture of what happened. Do you see a pattern here? God blesses, humanity reveals god blesses humanity rebels blessing rebellion blessing rebellion back and forth back and forth well maybe we do better in the next book book of exodus let's take a look at book of exodus so now god says i'm going to bless you by pulling you out of egypt into and give you your own land so i'm going to free you through moses and take you out and eventually get you to this place called the promised land in between there's this big desert so first things first let me get you out of egypt so he pulls him out of egypt but then what happens next slide rebellion. I don't know if you remember the story of Exodus, but as soon as Moses pulls people out of Egypt, they're looking around thinking, what do we eat? It's like, we have bread, this thing called manna. It's like, well, we want meat. It's like, well, we don't have meat. Well, we want to go back. Like, what do you mean you want to go back? We would rather be slaves, God, than, than eating bread this whole journey through. It's like, I, I can't believe you guys. So at this point, God says, okay, I know what's, what the problem here is. The problem here is that inside of you, inside of your heart, there's this, this, something's messed up in your heart. You have a disease in your heart. There's something that, that's, that's making you so ungrateful, that's making you so not willing to follow my lead, that, okay, what we're going to do is we're gonna, I'm going to give you something that's going to help you through this. And if this is the part of the story where God gives them this. He gives them the first 10 of 600 plus commands. We call that the 10 commandments. He says, here are some basic things that you need to follow for you to have a flourishing society so that you get along with each other and that you understand my relationship with you. Got it? They're like, got it. So Moses takes down the tablets and he reads the 10, right? The first one is, have no gods before me. That's the first rule. Okay, can you, can you follow that first rule? Well, the very next chapter, of this happens. They build a calf for themselves and call it their god. The very next chapter, (laughs) right? And so, and then, and around that new God they created for themselves, they start like, you know, doing some crazy stuff, and you know, their society starts to fall apart. And so, God's like, "Oh no, no, we got to do something about this." And so, a few chapters later, God's like, "Okay, how about this? Next slide. I'm going to give you some more rules because you just created more problems for you. So I'm going to create more rules to help solve those problems." And what happens after that? For the next few books, okay, we see this happened. Command, rebellion, command, rebellion, rules, rebellion, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. This happens from Exodus, Leviticus, all the way to Numbers. So if you look at the bigger picture, next slide, you'll notice, and we go into Genesis also, you see that there's a pattern. God puts out, his, reaches out his hand, we rebel. Reaches out his hand, rebellion. Re- reaches out a hand, rebellion. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That's, it's in that context that the law was given. And you're like, but wait a minute. I thought there was another book after this called Deuteronomy. Yes, there is another book. Next slide. Deuteronomy is basically right before they cross the river that will take him to the promised land. Right? Moses looks back at the whole story. And he says, guys, you're about to get into the promised land, you know, the thing that you've been going for for the the past 40 years. You're going to get there soon, okay? I can't go in there with you. So I'm going to give you this awesome speech with some cool background music, you know, and at the end everyone's going to cheer for me. That's the kind of speech I want to do, right? And I'm going to give you an assessment of how you're going to survive over there without me. They're like, okay, we're listening. We're taking notes. So he starts to retell the story from Genesis all the way to, to Numbers. And in the process, in that process, he makes this one assessment, which is this. I've noticed this pattern. That every time I try to bless you, you guys rebel. And so Moses, he gives like this, this assessment. He's like, let me tell you what I really think is going to happen to you right after you cross that river, this. He says, yeah, um, you're not going to be able to follow these rules. You can barely follow one rule. There's 600 plus. There's no way you're going to be able to follow these laws. And they're like, no, Moses, I think we could totally do it. It's like, no, you really can't. And as, as proof of that, next slide, you'll notice from the book of Joshua all the way to Second Kings, this is what happens. Next slide. You'll see that there's death and rebellion and fighting happening throughout all the books. Read it for yourself. <laughs> You're going to discover this is such a sad history, you know, right? And so at this point, you would imagine God's like, oh, my goodness. Oy vey. I just, I'm just going to throw in the towel. You would think if I was God, I would do that. But good thing I'm not God, right? Because right after this, we have these books called the prophets. And there's about 15 prophets in the Old Testament. Three of them are called major prophets. Major, they're called major prophets because their books are just longer in, in, in duration. It's just a long, big book. Three big books, right? And they're, they're like Ezekiel, and there's, there's um, Isaiah, there's Jeremiah. But these three prophets say something really interesting about the condition of the story so far. Okay, so the, next, so the first major prophet is this guy named Ezekiel. Okay, this is what Ezekiel said. He says, Moses is right. The problem that you guys have is not a law problem. It's, the problem is not that you have a hard time following rules. The problem is your heart. Your heart is hard as stone. The, the default setting of your heart is rebellion. When somebody tells you to do something, you want to say, well, maybe there's another way of doing it. When somebody tells you this is what's good, you're always looking for a quote-unquote better way. It's like there's something wrong with our hearts, and our heart is like as hard as stone. And so Ezekiel gives a prophecy saying this is what's going to happen in the future. This is what he says. He basically says, your hard heart, one day the spirit of God going to come in it, and it's going to soften it. He's like, that's my prophecy. One day your hard hearts, your heart of stone is going to become soft as flesh because the spirit of God is going to come into it. What does that mean? He's like, hey, I'm just delivering the message that God gave me. I don't know what that means, but one day your hard hearts are going to be softened. Next major prophet is Jeremiah. Jeremiah basically says, once that heart is softened, then the word of God is going to come in your heart, and it's going to dwell in it as if you don't even have to try. Meaning, you wake up in the morning. You don't have to think, what are the rules I have to follow today? You wake up in the morning, and you're doing things, and naturally, you're just doing it without even trying. It's just such a part of you. It's infused into your DNA that you're just doing the things that God wants you to do in the first place without even trying. It's like, whoa, really? That day's coming? Yeah. Well, what does the third major prophet say, Isaiah? Isaiah says this. He says, it's not just going to happen in the vacuum of nothing. One day, there's going to be a man who's be, that God's going to rise up. He's going to be called the Messiah, and he's going to lead you to a soft heart that, where the w- word of God is going to be imprinted into your heart. And so people hung on to that promise. One day, we're going to be able to do what God wants us to do without following the rules. One day, our hearts can be so softened that we're going to be able to fall in line with what God wants for this world, a heaven-on-earth sort of thing. When is that going to happen? Well, one day, a man named Jesus shows up on the scene. And he comes on the scene, he makes this crazy statement. He says, I am here to fulfill the law. What does that mean? That means I am that man who is here to lead you guys into giving you a soft heart who, in which you will have that, that, the commands of God written into your heart. And by commands of God, he's not talking about the 600 plus rules. The 600 plus rules are meant to accomplish something. Right? And he says, when you have a soft heart, that thing that the laws are supposed to accomplish are going to be infused into your heart. So it's not necessarily you're going to be following all 600 plus commands, but you're going to be living your life as if the thing that it's supposed to accomplish is being accomplished through your heart. Okay? So he says, I'm that guy that is here to do that. So looking at the big story right, from Genesis all the way to the end of the Old Testament, you'll discover that the Old Testament laws were never meant to weigh us down. It was more of a response to something, right? We have to remember that the law is not just there in the vacuum of nothingness. As a matter of fact, the laws were a part of a relationship story. So I can't just take the 600 plus laws of God and take it to the middle of Manhattan and say, here... Follow these rules. I can't take it to the middle of Africa and say, here, here's the law from God. Now go do that what it says. I can't take it to the middle of China and say, look, here's the word from God. Now go do likewise. I can't take it to the middle of corporate America and say, look, here's the rules of God. Go and do these things. Because these things were put, were given to us. in the, There's a context around it. There's a story that it's a part of. And the story is, that god wants to have a relationship with you but that didn't work out and so here are the bunch of rules that's going to help you help you get back to that state of having that relationship with god you can't just throw rules at people so as for this reason let's look at verse 46 again this is what jesus says he says woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry it's like the word of god was never meant to weigh you down But for some reason, these experts of the law have used the word of God as ways to constrict people from actually living, right? But then that's not the only thing Jesus says. Look at the second half of that verse. He says, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Now, this is a really interesting observation Jesus is making. He's saying this. These rulers of the law are telling people you need to live your life according to A, B, and C. And when they can't, they condemn them. Why can't you do A, B, and C? Come on. If you don't do it, God doesn't love you. God doesn't approve of you. You've got to follow A, B, and C. But when they go home and they close their doors, the experts of the law, they can't follow A, B, and C either. But, but when they're out in public, they make everybody believe that they could follow A, B, and C. It's like you yourselves can't do it either. You're weighing people down with all this stuff, and you yourself can't even do it yourself. In other words, while the people on this side are feeling, I'm not good enough for God. Behind closed doors, the experts of the law and the Pharisees, they were also feeling, I'm not good enough for God. So the question still remains, what role should the law play in my life? I mean, if somebody gives you a bunch of rules, you would think I'm supposed to follow it. What is the whole purpose of the laws of the Old Testament? I mean, if there's rules, then we should follow them, right? Well, this has been a big question for the first century, the first generation of, of the church. When Jesus died and rose again from the grave, this thing called the church started, and in that church, people were asking questions, well, what role does the rules, these rules, these laws play in my life now? And so one of the first Christian leaders, his name is Paul, Paul the Apostle, right? He had a dialogue going back and forth about what role the law should play in our lives. And this is what he said to a church in the place called Galatia. This is what he says. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Oh, yeah, okay, let me break that down for you. When he says miracle, he's not talking about, ooh, my leg just grew another inch, or ooh, you know, he's not talking about that, okay? The implication of miracle here is for a long time through Jewish history, they believe that the world is going to come back together one day. The brokenness of the world can be fixed one day. One day, meaning people who there will be no more there will be no more racism one day. There'll be no more injustice one day. That there's going to be this perfect world that's going to be formed eventually. And as these Christians are living their lives, they're starting to see these miracles. Meaning, look at these people. They will never get along. Here's a Roman centurion, and here's a Gentile, and here's a Jew. They're all getting along together. Well, that's a miracle. That's a sign that's pointing to what's to come, right? And so. They're looking at all this and saying, wow, look at this. This must be happening because God is working in our lives right now. God must have favor on us. God is, He must really like what we're doing because we are seeing some amazing things happen around us. And so the question is well, the question that Paul is asking is Do you think these miracles are happening because you read the Bible and you follow the rules? Or do you think it's the work of the Spirit of God? Do you think that God, okay, in the form of a spirit, is working through you because you cho- chose to believe in him. And the word believe there implies relationship with them. To which Paul is assuming that you would say, yes, I do believe that it is because of me believing. I do believe, believe that it's because of the spirit. And then he concludes this verse by saying this, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, what he's saying here is revolutionary. Okay, it's like, it's like a, ancient version of a mic drop. Okay, so let me show you this, this map again. Okay, so throughout this story, right, there's all these rules that's given to us. That's in the bottom of the screen. You see there's the laws, 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 and that goes on forever. Okay, so there's over 600 laws. By the way, interesting information. While we could count about 613 laws in the Old, in the old Testament, scholars say that there was more than, there's closer to more than 1,000 laws is that they just picked the 600 of them and put it re- and recorded in the bible so there's way more than 600 just so you guys know okay but there's a bunch of laws in the old testament and they believe that by following these rules we are going to be found righteous meaning god's gonna look at us and say good job cots i you're you know one of you're one of my favorite disciples because look at you you're following the rules so you know like that's what they believed back then but then he says but there's a guy named abraham that every Jew would know right now and Abraham was recognized as being righteous. He was credited as being righteous. But Paul says, but there's a problem with that. The problem is this, next slide. Paul shows up at that point in the story before the law showed up in the story. What he's saying is this. How did Abraham become righteous without following any of the rules? Because the rules didn't exist at the time. How did Abraham get extra credit from God For not following the rules the answer to this is so obvious okay so this is what he's saying here the next slide abraham was called righteous by having a relationship with god he's like his right standing with god was not dependent on how well he followed the rules his right standing with god was dependent on him having a relationship with god well well are you saying that everything we've done up until now was was a mistake he's like yeah kind of you've been wasting your time trying to follow these rules but what, what role are these rules supposed to play in our lives? Like, okay, let me, let me state it so it's in an easier way, okay? The law of God was his plan B. You see, God originally wanted to have a relationship with us, right? But that didn't work out. And so he had to go to plan B, and that was the law of God. And for some reason, in the time that Jesus was walking the earth, that plan B became plan A, and God is saying, that's not the point. The point is plan A. It's relationship, Let's put it this way. I want to have a relationship with my son. But every time I have a relationship with him, he takes advantage of me, or he, you know, he calls me names I don't appreciate and stuff like that. So I have to, no, I'm not saying he does that. This is just, you know, no, you could, well, yeah, it's not true. Okay, so, but I have to establish rules with him saying, when you approach me, you can't call me by my first name. Call me dad, <laughs> you know, right? My daughter the other day said, "Hi, Cots," and I'm like, "You're two, you're two and a half years old, and you're calling me Cots." <laughs> we didn't teach him that, did we? No, her. We didn't teach her that. I don't know how. He, oh, anyways, and I'm like, "No, you call me Daddy, right?" But I have to establish rules. I have to tell her, "This is how you call. This is what you call me. This is how you, you know." Live according to, if you don't live in this house, this is how you live, right? You're not going to, you know, you're going to be respectful. I'm teaching her all these things. I'm giving her laws, quote unquote laws. But the whole point of my relationship with her is not if I follow these rules that my dad's going to love me more. No. These are rules I placed in her life so that one day we could have that authentic relationship so we can learn to respect one another. The law of God is a plan B and when we make plan B into plan A, when we make the minor into the major, that's when Jesus says, you're missing the point. Because if you make following rules the main thing about our faith, then at that point, it all becomes about who is most able, who has the most discipline. (laughs) And Jesus says, no, it's not about that. It's about everybody. I love everybody, regardless if they're capable or not. I love everybody, whether if they messed up or not. I love everybody, whether if they send less or send more today. My relationship with you is not dependent on how well you can follow these rules. So don't make it the number one thing about your relationship with me. It's not about following rules. In another letter that Paul wrote to this church in a place called Rome, he, this is what he said The commandments you shall not commit murder, uh, you should not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other co- command there, there may be, meaning all the commands that we're talking about here. They're all summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's like, if you want to know how to, you know, follow all 600 plus rules, just follow this one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself, to which people are like, wait a minute. What do you mean by love? Because love could be interpreted in so many ways, right? It's like, okay, let let me make it clear for you. Next verse, he says this. Love does no harm to a neighbor. That's it? It's like, yeah, that's it. If you could do that one thing, Then, next verse, and this is a key verse right here. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If you want to be a person who follows all the rules of the Old Testament, and you keep failing, and you're like, gosh, I'm I'm pretty sure God doesn't look at me with a favorable light. I, I, I don't think he likes me at all. As a matter of fact, he's ashamed of me. Paul the Apostle says, no, 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 no. He loves you no matter what. But if you're interested in following the rules, here's one rule that's going to cover all the rules. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do no harm to them. And if you could love the people around you in that way, then at that point you are now fulfilling all of the law. In other words, when somebody says, you wake up in the morning and you're like, okay, today I'm going to commit adultery. Let's just say some people say that, I don't know, right? What Paul is saying is, don't think about The Ten Commandments, when you think about, I'm going to commit adultery, what I want you to think about is, if you are to bring no harm to your neighbor, to your family, right, that's the reason why you shouldn't commit adultery. Or when you're thinking about murder, right, I shouldn't murder today because that's what the Bible says. No, 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 no. Paul says, the reason you shouldn't commit murder is because you're supposed to love your neighbor. And loving and murder are pretty much the opposite, so you don't do that, right? Or he says, if you're looking through the Bible to see if you should covet or not, if that's your deal, right? It's like, oh, there it is. And the 10th tenth, the tenth commandment says do not covet. It's like, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to covet because what we have discovered is when you start coveting other people, like, oh, man, that person has more stuff than I do. It gets harder for me to celebrate the person when they're doing well. As a matter of fact, I start celebrating secretly in my heart when they're not doing so well. And that's not loving your neighbor. So that's why we don't covet because when we love our neighbors, we don't covet. So instead of being weighed down by all these rules in the Old Testament, he says, then just live by one rule. Love your neighbor and bring no harm to them. And by doing that, you are loving God. And God looks at you favorably. One command, love your neighbor. And Jesus says, isn't that much lighter than 600 plus laws? Woe to you experts in the law. For you have brought all these rules on the shoulders of the people around you, and you can't even follow all of them. You can't even memorize all of them. So the question I want to bring is, to you is this. Have you been weighed down by the rules of the Old Testament? Have you felt, I'm not good enough for God. Look at how many rules I've broken. Have you felt, I'm going to stay away from church because I haven't been to church for nine months, and... I feel this guilt and I don't want to go because I'm going to feel even more guilty when I show up and everybody's like, hey, I have been seen you for years, <laughs> right? Like, have you felt that weight? That you're not good enough? That you're not obedient enough? And that because of that, maybe God doesn't see you in a favorable light anymore. For you, this is what I have for you. Jesus says that he is here to take the weight off of you. He says that my yoke is light. If you follow me, I will give you rest. You could come to him, no matter what guilt you have in your heart right now, you could go to him and he'll be like, all that junk in your life, you could take that off. I don't count that against you. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Have you been weighed down by the rules of the Old Testament? But then I want to reverse this also and give you the other side of this, which is this. Have you weighed another down by the rules of the Old Testament? Have you found yourself telling other people, ah, uh-uh, that's a sin, don't do it. You know God frowns upon the things you're doing right now. If that's you, first, go talk to that person and say I'm sorry, right? But if you were to dig down deep to see why you're saying these things, why we as a church are saying this to the people around us, why it's probably because You think, deep down inside, that if I don't say these things to this person, this person would never change, right? I would say 90% of you who say these things are saying this because you see some bad behavior and you know that's offensive to God, and so you're like, I need to tell this thing so that this person changes. For you, I have this advice. Trust in the Spirit. According to the scriptures, according to the stories that we just read, What it teaches us is that it is the Spirit of God that comes into the heart of somebody that softens their hearts and makes them a different person, that makes them more and more into the person God called them to be. Not you. It's the Spirit of God. What we have to do is maybe we should pray for them and then trust that God will work on that person's heart without you telling them stuff that's going to weigh them down. Trust in the Spirit because we want all to come to know who Jesus is. We want all people to know that christianity is not a list of rules it's supposed to lighten you up it's supposed to bring you freedom the spirit of god gives you freedom but instead when we're so stuck on these rules it actually ends up weighing people down and that's the exact opposite of what jesus is trying to accomplish and this is why jesus looks at the experts in the law and the pharisees and he says woe to you for you weigh people down your burdens you're bringing all this weight upon the people around you and you yourselves can't even lift a finger I believe that, one of, that all of us, we fit into at least one of these two categories. Either we've been way down and avoided God, because if you were given the option, right, <laughs> like um, life full of 600 plus rules or not, <laughs> I think people will say, hmm, I think I'll stay away from the church, right? <laughs> but when people, you know, so maybe you're in that category. I've been sick and tired of all these rules. It's been weighing me down. If that's you, I want you to know, Jesus wants to take that weight off of you. If you're in the category, the second category that says, I've experienced Jesus, and for some reason I ended up becoming like a Pharisee, I've been telling people what to do. I've been telling people what's a sin and how you need to change your life, you need to change this, change that. If that's you, my invitation to you is, maybe it's time to learn to trust in the Spirit. Amen? All right, let's pray.